Great to see you all. Well, right now as it stands, Jesus Christ is the Lord over all, right? But, but the world doesn't see that. In fact, there's opportunity now to doubt that. There's opportunity now for people to say things like, well, Jesus didn't even exist. But you better believe there's coming a day where every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, and that, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But there's something special about today when there's opportunity to exhibit faith. So right now, like Jesus said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. We have a chance to bless the heart of God right now here in this season where we haven't yet seen Jesus in his glory. But we believe that it's true. We believe he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So right now, every time we gather in his name, it's a chance to do that. And it blesses his heart when we do so. So that's what we intend to do tonight. Amen. Let's go before him and pray. Father, we do thank you for the invitation that you give us to be a part of your family. Lord, thank you for the privilege of giving us the knowledge of your son, Jesus Christ. And beyond that, a relationship with him. The ability, Lord, to be cleansed of our sins, to be equipped to be priests in your kingdom. And because of that, Lord, we can come tonight with an offering of of song, an offering of joy. And bless your heart, Lord God, together as your children, as your family. So that's what we desire to do. Uh, Receive glory and praise tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. 
Seated on the throne of mercy, your glory shining bright for all to see. Oh God, I will praise you. Magnificent with grace, Son. Rescue us with love that never fails. Oh God, I will praise you. Who is like the Lord, strong in battle? Who is like the Lord, mighty to save? Who is like the Lord, King forever?
on the throne and nothing can come against our God. And so as crazy as things get, the things you see on the news, the the world just going nuts, like God is still in control. He's still on the throne. Nothing will be able to thwart the plans of God. And when all is said and done, God won't be like, wow, I didn't see that coming. The world will see God had everything falling right into place just how he wanted it. We can trust the Lord, even, even and especially today. Amen. Why don't we take a moment and greet the people around us?
All right. Good evening, everyone. We are in the book of Joshua this evening, chapter 10. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and we'll get one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. Joshua chapter 10. A couple announcements I just wanted to make. Um, I had put in the bulletin, I believe, last Sunday that we are not going to have a men's prayer breakfast this month because of the uh, women's retreat. But the women's retreat is like in a week, and our men's prayer breakfast is the third Saturday of the month. So it's this coming Saturday would be our men's prayer breakfast. So we are going to have a men's prayer breakfast this Saturday. I, I don't want to miss it. It's a great time. I think we had almost 50 guys the last time we had a men's prayer breakfast. So uh, this Saturday at 8.30 uh, is our prayer breakfast. And so coming out, guys, for that, uh, you'll be blessed. And, uh, and then, uh, as I mentioned on Sunday, our pastor, uh, Sean, is going to be heading out for uh, Colorado Monday morning. And so we're going to have cake after service on, on Sunday, just in the back there. And, and just the time to, to, you know, just give our regards. And, and one thing, I, when I think about Sean and his family and, and the gift that God has given him, it's just absolutely amazing. And, and that we were able to enjoy that gift for a year and a half. I mean, just a blessed church to be able to have him here and, and just uh, just, just, you know, you think, oh, no, he's leaving. That's not good. No, we were blessed. <laughs> we were just so blessed to have their family here. And so, uh, you know, just to give a hug and, and say a prayer for them as they head out. And I believe on Monday morning they're going to be heading out. So, uh, uh, But that will be Sunday. We'll have some cake. And uh, I may put the Chiefs game on the screen after that because we won't get home in time. But anyway, <laughs> I'm sure you're going to want to hang around for that, right? <laughs> All right, Joshua chapter 10, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we can spend together in your word. Thank you uh, for the sweet time of worship we have this evening, Lord. Thank you again for your word, as it does encourage us through the, the middle of our week, Lord, as we uh, get fed and filled up on Sunday morning, and maybe by Wednesday we're just running low. And so, Lord, thank you that we can have this refill on, on Wednesday, Lord, and thank you that we can spend this time together. We ask your blessing upon our time as we dig into your word, we commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We know that the book of Joshua is all about taking the promised land. The promised land of learning to receive all the blessings that God has for us in our lives. And all the victories that God has in our lives. Victory over sin. Experiencing God's peace and joy and, and love and power. The principles that, that govern the, the nation of Israel taking the promised land are the same principles that help us live in God's promises. Now, we have seen lately that Israel had a great victory in, in taking the city of Jericho. All they did was march around the city and shout, and God knocked down the walls. Next, Israel had a humiliating defeat at Ai because there was sin in the camp. They didn't know about it. And once Achan was dealt with in the sin, God gave them a great victory at Ai. Lesson learned. If we want to, uh, you know, God to move mightily in our lives, we must not have or hold on to secret sins. Well, then we looked at the importance of prayer last week and the Gibeonites pretended how they pretended to come from a, a far country. And we read in chapter 9, verse 4 and 5, they worked craftily and went and pretended to be ambassadors and they took old sacks on their donkeys, old wineskins torn and mended, old and patched sandals on their feet and old garments on themselves. In other words, they put on this whole scam, this whole show for Joshua and the leaders of Israel and Joshua and Israel, they bought it. Hook, line, and sinker. Why? Because they failed 
to pray. They failed to seek the Lord. And as a result, Israel made a vow with the Gibeonites. We will not harm you. But we also notice and remember that the Gibeonites, they weren't, you know, uh, let off scot-free. Although that covenant was honored, the Gibeonites were cursed with slavery, cutting wood and drawing water for the house of God. But we also looked last week, better to be a slave in the house of God than a prosperous man in the world. Psalm 84.10, for a day in the courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Well, this brings us now to chapter 10. Soon after this covenant was made with the Gibeonites, word got out, and now the enemies of Israel are now also the enemies to the Gibeonites. These people that desired to align themselves with the Israelites now find themselves about to be attacked. Now, why is that? Well, because anyone who desires to make peace with God, Satan is going to call out all-out war on that person. Each time we find ourselves growing closer to who Jesus is, Satan is going to work even harder to, against us to close that relationship that we're attempting to build. So as the people here of Gibeon decided to draw close to God, immediately Satan, all his forces, all his foes that he had working for him, decided to come against the Gibeonite people. Look now at verse 1 of chapter 10. Now it came to pass when Adonai, the king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had taken Ai and had utterly destroyed it, as he had done to Jericho and its king, so he had done to Ai and its king, and now the inhabitants of Gibeon had made a peace with Israel and were among them, that they feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai, and all its men were mighty. Therefore Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent Hoam, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jarmuth, Japhia, king of Lachish, and Debir, king of Eglon, saying, Come up to me and help me, that we may attack Gibeon. For it has made peace with Joshua and with the children of Israel. Now let me say this right off the bat. This is the first mention in the Bible of the city of Jerusalem. But it's not, uh, the, it's a, at this point, it's a Jerusalem full of Canaanites. But not for long. See, God had made the promise that this land was going to be theirs. God gave Jerusalem to the Jews. So now it was just a matter of time. And that promise still holds to, to today. But notice what is happening here. You know the old saying, the enemy of my enemy is my friend? Well, that's what we got going on here. We, we got the enemies of Israel, uh, or the enemies of each other, Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, Hoam, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jarmuth, and all these other kings coming together against uh, Gibeon, and, and we'll see against Israel. But see, the, the king of Jerusalem heard that the Gibeonites made peace with Israel. So as far as they were concerned, the Gibeonites, they were traitors, traitors to the, to, to the other Canaanite nations, as they were concerned. So, so something had to be done. So you read in verse 4, he sends a message out. Come up to me and help me that we may attack Gibeon, for it has made peace with Joshua and with the children of Israel. Now the plan was a good military plan. Band themselves together so they can all come and destroy the Gibeonites. I think as believers, we can learn something from this, that, uh, from these guys that are going against God, is that we as Christians many times need to bury our differences for the sake of coming against the enemy. doesn't matter if you come from a, a Baptist church, an Assembly of God church, a Methodist church, a Presbyterian church, a Pentecostal church. When it comes to the things of God, 
and social issues in our society, there needs to be a, uni- a united force. You know, when it comes to abortion, we need to come together and let our voices be heard. When it comes to sexual immorality, we need to come together and let our voices be heard. When it comes to the pornography that's in the books in our public school system, we need to come together as a church and let our voices be heard. When it comes to voting and electing our leadership, the church needs to to get together and be heard. When it comes to policies and laws, the church needs to come together and vote and, and write our congressmen and senators. As biblical citizens of these, these United States, it's our privilege and it's our responsibility to get involved. And I would encourage uh, any Christian, if so, so-called, to, to enter politics, to see about running for the school board or the city council to bring godly morals back into our society. Because when we band together, there is that power to make a difference. You know, united we do stand, you know, divided we do fall. Well, look what happens next. Look at verse 5. Therefore, the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon, gathered together and went up, they and all their armies, and camped before Gibeon and made war against it. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp of Gilgal, saying, Do not forsake your servants. Come up to us quickly. Save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the mountains have gathered together against us. Now we see Joshua's reply. Look at verse 7. Get lost. You tricked us, you, you dirty dogs. No. So Joshua ascended from Gilgal, and he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. Now, again, remember the vow that Joshua made with the Gibeonites, and the result of it is, well, you'll be our slaves, cutting wood and drawing water from the house of God. In other words, they had this servant relationship with, uh, with Israel, with, with the Jews. But let's look at it from a, the other way around. The Jews had a master, re- master relationship with the Gibeonites. And if someone's going to attack my servants, then they're attacking me. Isn't that not the same thing we see today? Joshua, whose name means Jehovah saves, it's the name of Jesus in the Greek. Joshua is a type of our Savior, our Master Jesus. And when we are about to get attacked because we're servants of the Lord, it's the Lord they're attacking. We're together on this. In fact, it's what Jesus said in John 15, 8 and 9. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of this world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of this world, but I chose you out of this world, therefore the world hates you. But know this, Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 4, for the Lord your God is going with you. He will fight for you against your enemies and he will give you victory. Or Romans 8, 31, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these if God is for us? Who can ever be against us? You see, the servants of the Israelites said, we're in trouble. And the master in the relationship, Joshua says, I'm, I'm, I'm helping. I'm, I'm coming to help you. We will march up on your behalf. And march they did. From where they were at, it was a 25-mile march, a long journey to help the Gibeonites. In fact, they climbed up some 4,000 feet in difficult terrain. I mean, that would be difficult for any soldier, especially a soldier who had questioned the help of someone who had recently deceived them. But, but you see, there's a heart that is displayed here, a heart that says, you mess with them, then you're messing with us. 
Now what's interesting is that as Joshua and all the people of the war with him and all the, and all the mighty men of valor get to the top of the mountain, well, suddenly they look and they see this, this huge, mighty, evil army of forces that is joined together to come against the Gibeonites. I mean, this was no small army. And perhaps you might have thought, as they got to the top there and looked around, Joshua might have said, you know, they want to destroy you, not us. We're out of here. But he doesn't do that. Because he knows a vow is a vow. Joshua would not go back on his word. But I do believe that Joshua needed some encouragement in moving forward right about now. And we know that at this point, Joshua learned his lesson from not praying in in chapter 9. So obviously, he's praying here in chapter 10 because the Lord answers that prayer. Look at verse 8. In verse 8, the Lord answers him by saying, Do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. What an, an awesome assurance that was. An awesome promise. Listen, we have the same assurance as Joshua did when we face the battles we face. No matter how much Satan can throw against us in our spiritual battles, he will never succeed because we have the armor of God on. And the armor is not there just to protect us, but it's also there to defend us. We got the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We got prayer, our two offensive weapons. And as we put them on, we can say, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-seven, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have the victory in Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 9. Joshua, therefore, came upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. So the Lord routed them before Israel, killed them with the great slaughter at Gibeon, chased them along the road that goes to Bethlehem, and struck them down as far as Azekah and Makedah. And it happened as they fled before Israel and were on the desert of Bethlehem that the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. There were more who died from hailstones than the children of Israel killed with the sword. I have to stop right there. Because we, we have to take note of this. I mean, of how the Lord has been bringing about these victories for Israel. In the first war, their first campaign, we witnessed Israel marching around Jericho's walls. With one mighty shout, the walls come down, and Israel has a victory. Second battle of Ai, God planned something different. There would be an ambush. And at just the right time, you'll come up against these people and you'll have victory. Now, in this particular battle, God does something a little bit different. This mighty army of, of you know, joined forces, the enemies of Israel, and now the, the enemies of the Gibeonites, and battling against Israel and the Gibeonites. And perhaps they're, they, they're thinking that they're winning, that they're gaining ground. But suddenly, at just the right time, when they think that they're experiencing the victory, these large hailstones start coming down from the sky on top of them and, and beat on them till they die. I mean, could you imagine this scene? Hey, we got them now. It's our victory. They're done for. And suddenly, bam. What was that? This huge hailstorm, the size that could kill a man where he stands, does exactly that. Kills a man where he stands. Just squishes him. And Israel and the Gibeonites are going, whoa, look at what God is doing. That's amazing. On top of this, this story, know that God is a sure shot. We don't read any of the Israelites or the Gibeonites getting nailed with hailstone coming from the wrong direction. It doesn't say that five guys were accidentally killed by friendly hailstones, <laughs> friendly fire. No, God has specifically taken out these guys 
one at a time. Bam, bam, bam. I mean, do you see how this works? There's this partnership that's taking place between man and, and God in heaven. Again, if God be for you, who can be against you? That's what the book of Joshua is all about. It's about our partnership with God. We, we seek the Lord, uh, 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 and the Lord gives us not only direction, but victory. It's a partnership. Listen, there are times in your life as a Christian that God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray all night. Pray all night? Yeah, it, it's a partnership. And God says, okay, you pray all night, and tomorrow I'm going to give you victory. A victory like you've never tasted before, but I'm going to give it to you. So God promises this miraculous thing that will happen. But he's looking for that partnership. And as we've seen, sometimes that partnership means marching around the walls of Jericho. Sometimes it means just listening to the voice of the Lord. Sometimes it's waiting for, for the orders. Ambush. Okay, we'll ambush. Sometimes a partnership means marching all day and all night, putting yourself in the proper position to witness the miracle of God. But listen, it's still a partnership. Very rarely do I witness God doing anything in any Christian's life where there isn't that partnership. You know, where, where, where they just kick back on a spiritual cloud and say, hey, I'm not going to read my Bible. I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to do anything when it comes to having a spiritual walk or a spiritual life. But I still expect to get the victory every day. How can that happen? It can't. There's no partnership within that. Listen, if you want God to fight your battles, but you're not laying your heart down upon the scriptures and allowing him to, to work through the word of God that he's hidden in your heart, how do you expect to have the victory? If you're struggling with your finances, but you're not seeking the Lord and searching the scriptures to find out what God wants you to do, how do you expect to gain victory uh, through that? You're going it alone. If you're struggling in your marriage, but you're not seeking the Lord, you're not searching the scriptures to find out what God wants you to do, how do you expect to gain victory? You, you won't. Whatever it is you may be struggling with. If you're not seeking the Lord, if you're not searching the scriptures, but, but expecting God to give you the victory, you'll be mistaken. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, And you will seek me, and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. And listen, when you do seek him, many times God shows up in a big way, in a huge way. In fact, look now at verses 12 through 15. Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, till the people had revenge upon their enemies, is not this written in the book of Jasher? I'm sure it is if we had the book of Jasher, but we, we don't. So um, Jasher means the book of the upright or the book of the just man. Only fake copies exist, so don't even waste your time on that. So verse 13, So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. And there has been no day like that before it or after it that the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord, Lord fought for Israel. Then Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. If you've never read this before, you might go, what? What did I just read? The sun stood still? Well, how big is your God who fights for you? When you got your God as your partner and he created everything, that means he controls everything. So that means that victory is certain. 
I mean, here, here's a guy just like you and me who's fighting a battle. They've got the enemy going to run, but it's getting towards evening. And Joshua's worried the sun's gonna, about to go down. And if the sun goes down, Joshua thinks we won't be able to finish wiping them out. So he says, sun, stand still. And suddenly the sun stands still in the heavens and stays in that spot all day long. Now, you may believe that God can heal your sore toe or your earache. But we don't think about it as really intervening in this dramatical, dramatic, powerful way in our lives. I think one of the, the most important things that all of us need to, to develop is that consciousness of God's presence with us at all times and all places. And the realization that God is absolutely interested in the big things in your life and even the little tiniest things that's going on in your life. God is concerned with every aspect of your life and, 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 and the things that really cause us concern. Now, there are many skeptics upon reading this who say, no way the sun stood still, and, and they use this story to discredit the Scriptures. In fact, they say, we have knowledge that the sun doesn't move. It's the earth that rotates around the sun, not the other way around. So obviously, this proves that the Bible isn't true. But you know, through careful research, I was able to discover that many reputable meteorologists made the claim today that Springfield's sunrise was at 6.54 and its sunset was at 7.24 p.m. In fact, I have a couple of very good weather apps on my phone that tells me the same thing. The sun rose at 6.54 a.m. and set at 7.24 p.m. You see, to the naysayers, uh, these the same naysayers aren't writing letters to their local meteorologists or to the weather channel saying what morns they are. The sun doesn't rise or set. Why? Because they know it is a figure of speech. Now, maybe you've heard this before. That many years ago, I, I heard it first time, and I, I believed it. But unfortunately, Christians sometimes stoop to lies to defend their faith when they don't have to. There's a story that was circulating many years ago, almost 40 years ago, different variations claiming that NASA scientists were running computer simulations, checking the position of the sun, the moon, and the planets a hundred years from now and a thousand years from now uh, in order to plot spacecraft tra trajectories. And as they ran their computers up and down the centuries, their machines came to a grinding halt because they, because they showed one day was missing. Now, and they said, well, that's it. It's, it's Joshua chapter 10. <laughs> Now, this has been proven time and time again by secular and Christian sources alike to be purely fiction, even without asking NASA. And there's been a lot of times that people made all these phone calls to NASA. Uh, the explanation is obvious. And in layman's term, you can only measure something if you have visible access from both ends of it. We can, of course, know where the sun and the moon will be in the future, and we can calculate where they were in the past, but we don't have any accurate records or, or, you know, to go way back to when this incident happened. So there'd be no way to see or to know the day was missing in the ancient past. While the legend is fiction, there's certainly a, a great amount of historical data to validate the event. Both the Chinese the Egyptians, the histories record a long day. Aztec and, and Peruvian histories record a, a night twice as long as normal that all date back to the times of Joshua. But in reality, the reason I believe it is because God says so in his word. It's plain and simple. Not because of NASA or because of some Egyptian record. 
validation or not, God put it in his word, therefore it is truth. Happened because Joshua said it happened, and God responded to an incredible word of faith. And it happened because Joshua recognized that time was, was a valued commodity and that the sun stood still and continued to reflect in his armor. He witnessed this great, great victory. God partnering in the victory with Joshua. Now, I want to point out that Joshua was a man who not only sought the word of God, but believed God. We read here that Joshua spoke the words, sun stand still. See, praying is not always asking. Sometimes it's it's saying with respect. Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 7, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. But in Mark 11, verse 23, Jesus tells us this instead. He says, For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Showing us that sometimes prayer moves out of the realm of asking and leads us saying under the direction of God, I need to add, Lord, I believe this is you will, so I'm going to ask this in faith. You see, all of Israel heard what Joshua said. He, if he was going to be embarrassed, this would be the time. I mean, you know, sun stands still and nothing happens. <laughs> Look at Joshua. That was kind of foolish. But, but again, God will, will not embarrass a man who has been with him, received his instructions, and, and then openly stated them. In this case, something was to take place that was out of this world. Now you may say, well, come on, Tom, the sun's standing still. Why didn't the earth burn up? Why weren't we all wiped out? What really happened? Listen, there, there are many research papers that were done on the subject, but the one that seems to make the most sense is uh, that in answer to Joshua's prayer, God caused the rotation of the earth to slow down so that it made one full rotation in 48 hours instead of 24 hours. Because we know if the earth actually stood still, there would be this cataclysmic effect on the earth. Everything loose would have been thrown into space and huge tidal waves and would have pounded on the planet. Now the evidence that time slowing down could have been the case as in verse 13, which said the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day giving them enough time to complete this victorious battle. But with that said, if God wanted the earth and the sun to set still for an extra 24 hours, he could do that without anybody being burnt up, anything going off the planet, because he's God. He created the sun. He created the moon. He's, he's, he's in charge of the whole universe. So when Joshua says, sun stands still, moon stands still, God would say, there's Joshua. He's proclaiming this word of faith. I'm not going to embarrass him. Sun stands still. Moon stands still. But here's the point. Not that God could stop the sun or the earth, but that's no big deal for the one who created everything. The big deal was this in verse 14. The Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. The Lord fought for Israel. See, in answer to prayer, Israel experienced the dramatic intervention of God, and victory was assured. Now, while Joshua's long day was a miraculous event, not to be repeated, God still listens to the voice of man today. He still responds to the cry of the needy. He intervenes on behalf of his children. For Joshua, God says, I will do it, but this is the last time I will do it, and I will never do this again. And there has been no day like that before or after it, verse 14 says. Now let me say, aren't you glad for that? (laughs) 
I mean, aren't you glad that man can't stand up today in the presence of God in front of all the people and say, today I've heard the word of faith, son, stop moving. No, that's not the way God works. I mean, if somebody today decided to positively confess that it would rain all day tomorrow, but then somebody else stood up and had positively confessed it will be sunshine all day tomorrow, well, we have a problem. And it's kind of like God is standing there going, observing both people's witnesses and saying, well, who should I listen to? You see, that's not how God works. Prayer is not accomplishing the will and way of man, but prayer is accomplishing the will and the way of our Lord. And it just so happens, though, that they work in perfect harmony in this scripture because God is the one who gave Joshua the faith in the first place to make this bold statement, sun stands still, moon stands still. God gave Joshua that faith to say that. God acts on that faith, and we witness a miracle. But I've, if, again, if I start blabbing out words of faith from my own way and from my own, own will, then I'm just going to end up frustrated. Because if it is apart from God's plan, then frustration is all I will expect to receive. Listen, I've been married to you know, my wife, Lisa, for 45 years. She's a paraplegic in a car accident when she was 15 years old. And I've encountered very well-intentioned Christians who muster up as much confidence and faith as they possibly can and, and uh, welcome, can I pray for you to be healed? And, and when nothing happens, they look so uh, disappointed. So I thank them for praying, and I tell them, well, one day she will be healed, and we just may have to wait. See, good intentions doesn't mean it's the Lord's will. I remember years ago when uh, we used to go to Harvest, when I first started going there, I would, Lisa would go down the aisle and I'd push her in the chair, and she'd get out of her chair and sit in the seat, and I'd go push the wheelchair up in the back of the, the, the church. And, and one of these, uh, I think it was a Wednesday night, and I went to get her chair, and I got in it. And I'm going down the aisle, and I'm sitting there in the chair, and this young man came up to me and says, can I pray for you? And I hopped up out of the chair, and I said, sure. <laughs> like it just freaked him out completely. You see, it's all up to the Lord's will. And so isn't it better to pray, Lord, according to your will? God, if you would, I would, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, now what happens next? Well, there's these five kings. Look at verse 16. But these five kings had fled and hidden themselves in a cave at Machedah. And it was told Joshua, saying, the five kings have been found hidden in the cave of Machedah. So Joshua said, Roll large stones against the mouth of the cave and set men by it to guard them. And do not stay there yourselves, but pursue your enemies and attack their rear guard. Do not allow them to enter their cities, for the Lord your God has delivered them into your hands. Now, verse 18 sounds familiar. Somebody rolls a large stone in front of a cave and somebody guards it and doesn't let them get out. Were they able to keep the kings inside this large cave? Sure they were, because they're just kings. But when you put the king of kings, the Lord of lords, in a cave and put a stone over it and put guards in front of it, we all know what happens there. So you can't keep the king of kings and the Lord of lords inside a cave. But common kings, not a problem. Now, why were these Canaanite kings hiding in the caves? Because the moon and the sun were gods to the Canaanites. I mean, could you imagine their shock about what's going on. Here they're fighting against the Israelites, waiting and worshiping their gods, the sun and the moon, and God decides to allow Joshua's word of faith to come to pass. I bet this was hysterical. They're crying out to their gods and sun and moon to help them answer their prayer. And then Joshua says, wait a minute. 
You're calling out the sun and the moon, same place that my God created? Okay, God, make the sun and moon stop. And suddenly it stops. And they go, uh-oh, we've been praying to the wrong God. we we got to get out of here. And they take off for the caves. I mean, you would too if you realize that the God you are worshiping has no power over the only true God. Now, what is interesting is that there is evidence to point to the fact that Islam's Allah is the same pagan moon god of ancient Mecca. The Arabic word for God is Allah, uh, while Al is the Arabic for the. Therefore, Allah com- combines Al with Allah and removes the I to, to Allah, which literally means the God. But much like Yahweh or Jehovah is the personal name of the God of the Bible, Allah is also the personal name of the moon god, the chief among 360 pagan idols that were worshipped in Mecca, the hometown of Muhammad. So are you saying that they, 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 the god they worship is the moon god? Well, consider what the ancient pagan Arabians did to worship their moon god, Allah. They, they prayed while bowing towards Kaaba, the house of Allah in Mecca. In that house was a meteorite, a rock from space, and several times a day, they would pray towards that rock, and they visited it once a year, or walked around it several times during the visit. What happens today? Well, about 2 million Muslims visit Mecca every year and walk around the Kaaba, the, the black cube, 40 feet tall. Muslims pray, bowing down the, uh, to the Kaaba in Mecca five times a day. The Muslim holy month of Ramadan starts at the sighting of a new crescent moon. We know perched on top of all the churches across the world is a cross, a symbol of the sacrifice that, that God made uh, you know, on, on the cross in the Bible. It's from the Bible. Perched on top of the mosque across the world, what is the crescent moon, the symbol of Allah, whom Muhammad chose as the God of Islam. When confronted with this, Muslims typically reject it and say that Allah still means uh, all and Allah and i.e. the God and, and the same as the God of the Bible, not the moon God of pagan Mecca. Well, then, if this is really is the God that they're worshiping, then they should stop bowing down to a meteorite five times a day, and the crescent moon should neither start their holy month nor top their mosques. If the Allah they are worshiping is generally the God of the Bible, they should worship him as the Bible instructs. Well, here we have these five kings. They worship the moon and, and the sun of gods, and now they're hiding out in caves. And again, you would too if you realize that the God that you are worshiping has no power over, your, over the one true God. Now, you know this scenario is going to happen again in the future. In Revelation chapter 6, there are kings hiding out in caves as well. Look at Revelation chapter 6, verse 15 through 17. It says there, And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man, hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks and the mountains. And said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? See, here in Joshua is a sneak preview of what's yet to come. Very last days, when those people who have not bowed their knees or confessed with their mouths that Jesus is Lord, will find themselves hiding in caves, trying to cover themselves up from the wrath of God. And in the same way as Joshua is a type of Christ, we see the power of God through the victory of God against these kings hiding in the caves. So what happens next? Look at verses 20 through 28. Then it happened while Joshua and the children of Israel made an end of slaying them with a very great slaughter till they had finished, that those who escaped entered fortified cities. And all the people returned to the camp to Joshua at Machedah and in peace. No one moved his tongue against 
any of the children of Israel. Then Joshua said, Open the mouth of the cave and bring out those five kings to me from the cave. And they did so and brought out those five kings to him from the cave. The king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon. So it was when they brought out those kings to Joshua that Joshua called for all the men of Israel and said to the captains of the men of war who went with him, Come near, put your feet on the necks of these kings. And they drew near and put their feet on their necks. I love this. Just get the mental picture of all of this. Joshua says, verse 25, Then Joshua said to them, Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. Be strong and of good courage. For thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. And afterward, Joshua struck them and killed them and hanged them on five trees, and they were hanging on the trees until evening. So it was at the time of the going down of the sun that Joshua commanded, and they took them down from the trees, cast them into the cave where they had been hidden, and laid large stones against the cave's mouth, which remained until this very day. On that day, Joshua took Machedah and struck it and its king with the edge of the sword. He utterly destroyed them, all the people who were in it. He let none remain. He also did to the king of Machedah as he had done to the king of Jericho. What a story. I mean, you, can you see Joshua, type of Christ, turning to these fellow soldiers as commander of the Lord's army and saying, hey, go get those kings. And now these kings are coming out, total, totally humiliated by Joshua, Joshua takes his foot, puts it on the neck, and says, Hey, guys, come here. Put your feet on the neck on these kings' necks. And as they do, Joshua says, Do you see this? God is going to do this to all of our enemies that come against us. And as he's standing there on these kings, he takes his sword out and goes, Just kills them. No, Tom, that's gross. Seems so cruel, so mean. But listen, secular history reveals just how wicked these kings really were, how depraved how sinful they really were. We also need to remember, and we've talked about this before, they had the opportunity to repent. God always warns those before His wrath is being poured out, they have that opportunity to, re- to repent. But when they choose not to repent, they're going to experience the wrath of God. But God does give them that opportunity to repent. And I want to point out another unique type of Christ that we see within our text. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 26, the scriptures write concerning the last foe to be fought, our last enemy to be destroyed, is death. We're told in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 27, for he has put all things under his feet, but when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. Now, when all things are made subject to him, then the Son of himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. See, the foe, that wicked spirit of death itself, will be put under subjection of Jesus Christ at that very last day. Same way that Joshua takes those kings and those forces that have been against Israel, he puts their foot on their necks and says, no longer will you have victory over the people of Israel. Jesus Christ says the same thing to us today about death. The New Testament saints, he says, I'm putting my foot on the neck of the spirit of death. It will no longer reign over anyone who aligned themselves with me. So that as we partake in the goodness of God, God then likens, not like Joshua, fights a battle for us and puts under subjection these wicked kings in death. Why? So that we can experience life. Abundant life, a joyous life, with no fear of death, only the great anticipation of being with our Savior and our King for all eternity. That's how we need to experience life today. 
Jesus Christ has already won the battle over death, over hell. The victory's been won. And what's interesting is to recognize that once you put somebody under subjection with your foot like that, what can they do? I mean, you got a sword pointed at their heart. you got their foot on their neck. They're stuck. The only thing they could do is start flapping their mouths, right? I'm going to get you when I get up from here. I'm, I'm gonna, man, you, as soon as I get up, I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. You know, that's what our enemy does today, doesn't he not? Just flapping his mouth at us. We've got the victory. Nothing he can do because God's got his foot on his neck. God is in control. We need to recognize that and recognize the victory is ours in Jesus Christ. Now, verse 29. Then Joshua passed from Makedah and all Israel with him to Libna, and they fought against Libna, and the Lord also delivered it and its kings into the hand of Israel. He struck it and all the people who, who were in it with the edge of the sword. He let none remain in it, but did to its kings as he had done to the king of Jericho. Then Joshua passed from Libna and all Israel with him to Lachish, and they encamped against it and fought against it. And the Lord delivered Lachish into the hands of Israel, who took it on the second day and struck it and all the people who were in it with the edge of the sword according to all that he had done to Libna. So Joshua's just taking city after city from where those kings had reigned. He goes on in verse 34 to take Eglon, verse 36 Hebron, verse 38 Debir. Now we move to verse 40. And it says, So Joshua conquered all the land, the mountain country, and all the, and the south, and the lowland, and the wilderness slopes, and all the kings. He left none remaining, but utterly destroyed all that breathed, as the Lord God of Israel had commanded. And Joshua conquered them from Kadesh Barnea, as far as Gaza, and all the country of Goshen, even as far as Gibeon. All these kings and their land Joshua took at one time, because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. Then Joshua returned, and all Israel with them, to the camp of Gilgal. I want to close with this. According to verse 21, no one moved his tongue against any of the children of Israel. Why? Because God moved in such a radical way, partnering with the people of God, that the people of Israel became a source of fear to the Canaanites in the land. These pagans began to have respect for God's people and for their God. See, that's what happens when you partner in God in prayer and step out in faith. That's what happens when we realize that the battle is not ours, but the Lord's, and he's already won it for us. His foot is on the enemy's neck. You know, God has promised in Genesis 3.15 to our enemy, the devil, he said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Of course, speaks of Jesus Christ and the promised seed. Christ would come and, 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 and bruise or literally crush the head of the serpent, but the serpent would bruise the head, a uh, heel of the promised seed. Here we have the picture of the cross. Where Christ was bruised for our iniquities, wounded for our transgressions, where he cleansed our sin with his own blood, thereby crushing the head of Satan's authority in our lives. Not only destro- destroying the power of death, but also destroying the power of sin over our lives. And now as we trust in the Lord, Again, we need to realize that the battle is not ours, but the Lord's, and victory is ours as well as we just take hold of that victory in Jesus Christ. That's what it means uh, to be walking in the promised land for us today. It's receiving all that God has for us in our personal lives, victory over sin, experience God's peace, joy, love, and power. Listen, Joshua was a man who knew God above all else, and the results were, were impressive to say the least. I think of Daniel. He would, he would later write in the last part of Daniel chapter 11, verse 32, the last part, it says, the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out 
great exploits for Joshua, for Daniel, and for us. Knowing God and trusting Him is the key to victory, and God is going to do great and mighty things, great exploits in our own lives as well. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this time this morning. Thank You for Your Word, because uh, this evening, Lord, Your Word, though, it encourages us. It shows to us that we have the victory that's already been won. As we partner in prayer with you, Lord God, as we seek your face, as we uh, spend time in that communion with you, Lord, and then we move from that place, you lead, you direct, you do great and mighty things. Your word tells us, call unto me and I'll show you great and mighty things that you don't even know. Lord, we we pray for that even today in the days in which we live. Lord, that, that as our church, we would go stronger in prayer, stronger in, in looking to you, Lord, stronger in realizing your presence is with us every moment of every second of every day. And that you want to accomplish great things in our lives personally, great things in this life, in, 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 in this church corporately. So, Lord, help us to, to partner with you in everything that we do, everything that we say. And then look for these miracles, look for great things to happen. We give it all to you, Lord. Thank you for the victory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand and do one last song together. Your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness stretches to the sky.
God bless you guys. Have a good evening. Don't forget men's prayer breakfast Saturday. We'll see you back Sunday as well. God bless.